back to Love, Life, and Legacy, everybody, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, I just really want to start with a disclaimer. Benji and I are not going to get gross or graphic or personal on this topic. We're talking about turn-ons, but not about us and what turns us on. It's much more broad of a conversation. And the reason we're having this conversation is because so many people, what they find to be attractive sexually is actually the result of media, something outside of themselves. And because of that, they're attracted to the external measurements of a human being, and that disregards their internal reality. But if you can just that if you can find them attractive internally that actually makes them more attractive to you externally in the long run and that's a much better long-term plan but not only that it allows you to customize your turn on so you're not just at the behest you're not beholden you're not a slave to what the social norms are which are not healthy or productive in any way especially if you're in marriage and people get old and change but rather you can find somebody more attractive as you age if you play by these rules and there are rules there there, it's a discipline it's not easy which is why not many people do it but if you learn these skills then your long-term happiness is far more secure so let's get into turn-ons and how to customize them so that they are in line with your values rather than a reaction to culture and all the brainwashing that we've experienced let's get into it welcome back everybody Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Benji and I haven't recorded together in some time. Welcome back, Benji. Yeah, it's good to have you. You are traveling. You're in Costa Rica, aren't you? Yes. So we are here today to talk about turn-ons. And we want to make sure that everybody knows that we're not here to be creeps about it. We want to mm-hmm. talk about this in a really good way. And here's why. Here's what's spawned this. I was on the beach. We're living close to the beach. And we were sitting under the shade of the tree, which is what white people like me do on a sunny day on the beach. You go as close to a tree as possible. And there are these, I think they were Americans. Because the dude had like a Texas University hat. I don't know which mm-hmm. university. I just know. I know. TU. Something like that. Anyway, he was sitting on a chair. You know, a beach chair under an umbrella, also a white man, clearly. And then his wife was lying on her stomach next to him. They were late 50s. I would put it at late 50s, early 60s. Okay. Can you picture this? All right. Yep. And I think he had a beer and she's just like soaking up the sun. And I saw this young lady with two guys of maybe 20 feet away from them. Mm -hmm. There are not that many people on the beach. There's a group of three, one lady and two guys. The lady gets up and she walks to the water. And this guy who's sitting with his wife, his wife's not paying attention, takes out his binoculars and just starts staring at her. <laughs> and she was weird because she also just stood there kind of like a pelican. Just She didn't actually go in the water. She just went in knee deep and stood there almost as though she was posing. And the mm-hmm. guy was just stalking her with these binoculars. It's creeping, yeah. A real creeper. And I was just so grossed out because it's such a nasty visual and no man would ever want to be that guy. I think movies try to make light of that guy and say, oh yeah, we've all been there. And I think the worst aspect of ourselves is like that, for sure. A kind of selfish creeple. But the reason why I really, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I need to do a podcast with Benji about this because mm. his wife is getting older. They're both 
in their 60s, late 50s, whatever it is. And she doesn't have a young body. She has a 60-year-old body because she's a 60-year-old woman. He was mm. looking at this young lady who was probably in her 20s. And there's an emphasis in society to stay young forever. And we hate, we abhor getting older, this idea of getting older. And we tend to believe that people are not as attractive as they get older because they get older and they're more wrinkly, saggy, droopy, whatever. But I know, and you know, and this is why I want to get into this. We'll hear from Benji this episode too, guys. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. I'm just this context. The purpose of this is that I've experienced it in small doses. And I know you have too, but we Mm. can customize what we're attracted to based on our values. And we can Mm. become more physically attracted to somebody even as they age because we're invested in them emotionally, spiritually, and the internal stuff. And Mm. because of that, they radiate a beauty that is far greater than just being young and taut and tanned or whatever, right? It's more than that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just checking yeah. in with you because I've been talking for yeah. the past 20 years. No, I have tons to say on this, but I'm just listening right now. Well, that's the context. Let's start unpacking it. I just felt it was so important. I know we've touched on it in, way earlier on in this podcast, but I'm positive that we seek novelty as humans. We like new things all the time. But the immature understanding of that is that we need new things. And so guys, we're like Johnny Appleseed. So we need a bunch of women. That's the story that we're told. And it's because of this novelty. That's why we like porn is because we want new women all the time. You're scrolling through thousands of women in a porn session. But this is the hijacking of a natural system. And the godly way to use this novelty is to see old things with new eyes. And that's a whole lot harder, but I know it's possible. And I've done that to a certain extent myself. And I know the Wolfenbergers are more in love now than they are, have ever been. And so Mm -hmm. there are examples of that. Now, Benji, please talk. I think we're going down different trains of thought right now. I'm still caught up in this idea of this guy, right? Because there's people like you and I, Andrew, who will kind of like, if we were to check out somebody, you know, we're guilty of this, right? We're not invincible or women or an attractive man even. It takes a lot of something to be able to take out binoculars and to Google at them, right? Or ogle at them. That's a new level. And this is like bringing up a fundamental question that I've been asked. And I think we get a lot in like comments on YouTube and et cetera is like, what's wrong with porn? Like it's natural. It's fine. So there's two schools of thought, right? Or two sides of the story is like people who are obsessed with the idea of quitting porn and then people who are obsessed with defending their right to use porn. And so I was trying to figure this out. And so what's going through my mind right now is why is this guy? And also I was at the gym today. Matter of fact, I was looking at a guy who was doing the same thing at someone else's in the gym, right? For some reason, I noticed that when men are watching other women. (laughs) The gross thing to behold. Yeah. Yeah, It was was gross to to see him like that. This is an older guy as well. Nothing against older guys, just a (laughs) circumstance. Shout out to all you older guys. (laughs) What I've come to conclude is that there is an equation of value discrepancy. That's what I want to call it, of where people are right now and where they want to be. It's people who have high values and standards and moral code struggle with this idea of porn because the discrepancy between who they want to be and who they are today is so painful that it causes them to feel shame and to hide their porn habit. But if people don't have a moral code or a standard or vision or values for their lives, that's when people are like, it's fine. It's natural. They live in denial, actually. And that's what causes someone to be able to have the stuff to pull out binoculars right next to his wife 
in public and creep out at women, right? It's because obviously there's something going on in his moral compass that he believes that his values are so low that there's nothing wrong with doing this. But what we're talking about here at High Noon is like, it's not enough to just lower your values so you don't feel this torment of discrepancy, right? You have to, like through North Star training and figuring out your North Star, is if you get your values and your dream and your vision for your life so crystal clear that it almost is painful to keep porn in your life. It almost like is painful to not live in a high noon life because the discrepancy is so tormenting. It forces you to do something. And this is why I think that typically religious minded people like have a lot of shame and guilt around porn and masturbation is because of these discrepancy in values and their actions. And a lot of people in society will say, well, if you're so tormented, then just give up those values and just be okay. It's normal, it's natural. But what happens then is then you live out of integrity with who you really want to be. So what we're saying is make your values stronger and higher and more clear so that the idea of watching porn and watching people actually disgusts you. And it becomes like, it's not an option for me because the man I want to be is so clear. This equation is somewhat helpful for people to figure out like, why is it that some people are, live in denial with porn habit? And why is it some people really, really struggle with porn, have a lot of shame. And while other people who have the same addiction level, perhaps don't struggle at all, right? And why is it that it's easier for some people and harder for some people to deal with this kind of dilemma that's going on? Yeah. And so what do you do? Like, I just had this conversation with somebody a few days ago. He was asking about, he was struggling because he feels like there's a lot of people in High Noon that aren't 100% like rid of mm. porn. Like it comes back to them and he's like, he's feeling a little bit discouraged. So what is that in terms of this equation? How does that work? Is it because they haven't fully resolved who it is that they want to be, that they don't feel mm. disgusted? Like, I don't know about feeling disgusting because that's like so close to shame. It's basically mm. shame. We don't want people to feel shame. It's more like, I wasn't disgusted by what this guy was doing. I was just like, that's gross. And I would never want to be that. That would be, that'd be pretty embarrassing to say the least if I turned into that old guy. And I hope that I could honor women a lot more than that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If someone were asking me that question, which is why do people keep a habit even though they don't want it? Even though someone joins high noon, joins a program, is intensely serious about quitting, but they still kind of go back to it occasionally. I think part of the equation is emotional awareness, right? Like when it really comes down to it. Actually, I want to share something I had experienced yesterday. Maybe this would be helpful for everyone. This is vulnerable Benji talking, so stay with me here. So last night we played volleyball with the guys, some friends, and we play, you know, a few times a week. I'm normally stressed out and frustrated at myself. And I don't get frustrated at other players. I get frustrated at myself. I started cursing. I started like punching the floor, just like intensely competitive to a degree. And then people, it's not really fun to play with. Basically, that's what they're saying. And I was like, all right, crap, what's wrong with me today? And then what happened later in the evening as I saw something online, like something remotely uh, sexual, right? I don't usually go down that train of thought, but for some reason I was like, I kind of didn't, I scrolled past it. And then I kind of like image pop it back in my mind later on that evening. Right. And I was like, okay, huh, this is probably a hint that there's something going on in me that I need to figure out. So instead of like going down that trap rabbit hole, which a lot of people do and eventually watch porn and all that, I instead went inward, had introspection. Okay. What am I, what's my emotional state? Like, why am I feeling this stress, frustration, anxiety? And then I peeled it back and I realized that last night, the night before we had some friends staying over and they're good friends, they're good people. But I realized that I get a lot of anxiety from having people over or like spending a lot of time in close proximity with people, even if they're really close to me. And I really peel that back. And I realized at the end of the day, I feel this need to always portray myself in a specific way to people. 
especially people that I'm trying to get to know, you know? So I try to portray myself in a certain way and it gives me a lot of anxiety. And I ask myself, okay, why do I need to portray myself in a certain way? And really it's because I honestly don't feel comfortable being myself or I feel like if I'm completely myself with people, like I'm farting, picking my nose and getting upset at the kids in front of them or what, like being myself, I feel like people will disapprove of me or they won't like me or they'll be disappointed in me and I'm not the person that they thought I was. Why am I afraid of that? For me, it always goes back to like the environment I grew up in, how I related to my parents or how I kind of perceive my childhood or my experience growing up. So this is an example I'm sharing just because at the end of the day, I could have said seeing that thing on online or Instagram would have triggered me. And usually people say that's the trigger. Like the biggest trigger for me is some external thing that you see, like you see someone at the gym or at the beach or online. But it's actually not the trigger. The real trigger is the internal state that you were in when you saw that thing. So yeah. the first trigger for me was I was anxious. I was feeling anxiety or ultimately I was feeling unworthy of love from people around me. And then I went an, into an environment that made me susceptible to feeling quote unquote triggered. So when you understand that there's an initial trigger, an internal trigger that happens before you even see the external trigger, because that external circumstance doesn't even matter because sometimes you can see something online, it could really trigger you. And sometimes you could just not even notice it. It's because it says more about your state of mind when you see that than it does about the external thing. So this story I'm sharing for me, that's a big part of the equation that helps me is that my emotional self-awareness is everything when it comes to my porn mastery, right? It's like, how do I feel today? If I go to porn or screens or video games, wherever to escape my emotions without ever addressing why I feel those emotions, that's a recipe for disaster. And that's why I think ultimately people keep the habit, even though they want to, it's because they don't know how to, when it really counts, like when they're really urged to go back and they're in the boxing ring with their brain and this little monster, then they give in because they don't know how to fight it. They don't know how to backtrack and to actually figure out and have introspection and self-awareness. All right. I'm yeah, done. that's a super important point because I think a lot of people compartmentalize this issue of porn and masturbation. They're like, oh, am mm -hmm. I or aren't I? And in the future, they want to be porn free and masturbation free. If they're doing this work, they want to have sexual integrity. But if they're not equating their emotional state with it, I had this crazy <laughs> conversation with somebody because they had this very vivid realization that they could see the linear connection between all sorts of insecurity and sex, anger mm -hmm. and sex. And I was like, yeah, do you think that's weird? And it's like, yeah, that's terrible. Like, why is anger and sex, why are they connected? And it's like, because that's been a part of your experience since you were a young person. And that's been part of porn and masturbation. It's like, when you're scared, you masturbate. And like, mm -hmm. when you can really start to clearly see that these things are related and parcel them out. So take anger away from sex. You move them away, right? And you deal with anger on its own, but it's never then connected to sex. And same with fear. You deal with your fears naturally. You talk about them. You deal with them. You work through them. You master them. You grow past them. The same with in insecurities, whatever. You just start taking mm. sex. I'm, if you guys can't see this, it's a ball. I'm like a sphere. This is the ball of sex, the sphere of sex. And there should be nothing in there actually except for God. Mm. God should inhabit that entire space. And anything that you add into that insecurity, fear, anything negative is now making this gross concoction that will never feel quite right. Mm. And now sex isn't pure, but also these emotions aren't pure because you're not dealing with them. And now it's all mm. just this fuzzy mess. And that's what people feel when they're that's in bed with porn is they just feel 
weird and gross and foggy. That's okay. because you've now just, all the colors are now together and it forms that weird gray, that grayish brown. You know, when you, you're a kid and you put all the colors together and paint, it always ends yep. up the same gross color. Brown, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even brown. It's not like a clear color. It's just like a blob. If the color had a name, it'd be blob. So yeah, that's really true. It's like, it's never about porn and we know that, but porn is the indicator that emotionally you still have strange negative association complicit with the act of sex. A part of the same conversation, they're not meant to ever be. Interesting. So what I'm hearing you say is that people who are addicted or have this habit tend to conflate their emotional state and sexuality and equate that because I'm stressed out, anxious, depressed. Therefore, that's why I go to porn. They probably don't know it, especially in the beginning. They don't know it. Yeah. They can't, they cannot figure that out. They can't sort through that, but eventually they can, if they do this work, but the real work is how do you just isolate the feeling and stop bringing <clears throat> sex into the equation? How do you just deal with that emotion as it is? Like you last night, you're like, I'm angry. What's up with that? That's a great question. I'm like you last week. I had a bad day because I didn't have a second to myself. And I have a certain level of introversion that I need to feed every single day. And if that's starving, I become irritable, very irritable because for the sake of everybody else, like I'm on vacation, right? I was on vacation and still I had a bad day because I didn't make space to be by myself and therefore I was irritable. But how did I figure that out? I looked at the fact that I was irritable and I could say, wow, it's not everybody else's making me mad. I'm mad at everybody else because there's something inside of me that's off. And so what is that? And so then peeling back the layers. And luckily, a long time ago, I worked, I didn't start associating sex with these things, right? Even the external factor of being on vacation is not necessarily the thing that makes you happy either, but it's your internal state too, like on the flip side. Absolutely. You can be stressed anywhere. If you want to see the most stressed out people in the world, go to Disney. <laughs> <laughs> this is the happiest place on earth you better enjoy it you little we're so, happy. <laughs> we're so happy yeah i agree i remember at one point when i was really struggling like i remembered having the thought that and the realization that my porn habit had nothing to do with the porn because i thought for a long time that the reason i had a porn habit was because porn was addictive in this hundred billion dollar industry that was targeting in us and it's easily accessible and then i realized that those are factors that contribute to why it's addictive but it's not actually the reason that I use it. Does that make sense? So then I realized actually the reason I use it is not because of the porn, but actually for a different root cause. And then I realized like, oh, it's stress and anxiety, like I talked about. And then I learned how to talk about my stress and anxiety without ever talking about porn, which is cool, right? Like I could talk to my wife about my stress and my anxiety and never, ever have to say like, I'm feeling really triggered with, you know, it's like, no, no one wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that because then you're just putting this label on and saying, oh, I'm stressed and therefore I need porn. You're stressed for another reason. And porn is a symptom, not the root cause. It's your outlet. And it actually has nothing to do with your insecurity, anxiety, pain, whatever you're in. So then I was like, okay, I got really good at talking about my state of emotion and peeling back the layers, talking to my wife, you know, when I was a teenager, talking to Sammy sometimes when he would let me or <laughs> talking to my parents. Of course, God, right? Like God is a good source of talking with yourself. But I personally, I found that talking with somebody was, that's the fastest way to backtrack. Because when you do engage the brain or the triggers a little bit, we all know it's really hard to backtrack. Like if you just watch that one video or you just take a peek, or if you just watch that one TV show that you know you probably shouldn't, it's very hard to backtrack. But I found the easiest way to backtrack is just to talk about it and go inward instead of just expect some external factor to, to solve the feeling that you're feeling. 
Yeah. You were talking about the relationship with porn and it not being the cause. I was really thinking also about if you think about we're a capitalist society out in the West and it's very materialistic driven, right? But you know what's crazy is there is no materialism without marketing. And all marketing is, is making you feel that you need something based on your emotions. And that's really always the story is the same that you will experience these emotions when you get this thing, when you get this product, when you get this service, right? So like they're selling you on the potential of a feeling. And I really feel like that's what makes porn the materialism of sex is because they're selling you on a feeling that you're going to get. And you start to associate, it's the story that you tell yourself is I'm going to get this feeling from this thing, from porn. And the more that you believe that, the more that you expect it and anticipate it and mine, you're mining for that feeling in that experience. Okay. When I go to porn, that's my safe place is my happy place. But we all know that it's like a spell that wears off, but you could just as easily swap that story. So marketing is about a story. And like, I feel really cool in this jacket. Why? Because of some story that you tell about this jacket, right? Same thing with porn. Swap that story and be like, well, actually I feel gross when I associate myself with porn. When I have any give and take with it. And I feel better when I talk to people about it, when I pray about it, all these things that you mentioned, these other outlets for your emotions. That's swapping the story. And you have to tell yourself this story many times and you have to practice believing it and you will start to see the results. And you're, you're reconditioning yourself to tell a new story and you're marketing a new opportunity for yourself instead of porn. And you can market, look at politics. It's all about marketing. It's like that guy over there, he's a terrible guy. This guy right yeah. here in front, I'm a great guy. We'll do the same thing. We do the same thing all the time with our friends, with the people that we like, the whatever politics that we like, but same thing with our faith, same thing with our habits. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player, or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. So if you always need to end a dinner with a dessert and that's your belief, then you won't be able to be satisfied unless you get a dessert. You can change that. You can absolutely change that. I mean, this is all about porn and masturbation, yeah. but you can absolutely reorient yourself to feel differently about porn, but you have to start yeah. telling yourself a different story about porn. And like you were saying, when I'm triggered, I go to porn. Yeah, change that story. It's like, I don't mm. like porn. First of all, I don't start saying it. I don't like it. You're, this is part of your conditioning. It's part of the story. It's part of the marketing. Oh, when I look at porn, I feel like trash. You're starting to brand porn as a negative thing. This is all internal marketing that you're doing for yourself. It's really cool because then you're taking the reins. And that was what I was hoping that we could delve into today. And that's what we are, is like the fact that your turn-ons can be adaptable and they are. Okay. And this is really important. And I want to get into that territory with you now, because if your turn-ons are finite, like I only like young women, well, then you're screwed because then you're going to be Hugh Hefner. He was like the least happy person in the world. If you know anything about him, if you know his story, it's like he had endless amounts of women and he could never be happy. He was a terrible, miserable human. 
He's lonely. I don't know if you know the story. Like he got, I think, either divorced by his wife or rejected by his wife. And then after that, he's just like, okay, screw woman. I'm just going to absolutely you know, like be a chauvinist. He, he was committed. You don't want to be that. You want to be able to commit to a person internally and be adaptable to them externally as a turn on and you will always be happy. And it's not easy, but this is also part of marketing. If you convince yourself that it's possible to be attracted to your spouse, and we're coming from men, so I'm saying women, but like opposite. Okay, mm. hey, my husband's, you know, 50 and he's getting a bit of a pot belly and he's a little bald, whatever. Like you can still love them, not even still love them. You can love them increasingly every single year if that's what you're committed to because you're just convincing yourself that they are more attractive and they become more attractive. You could also say, Again and again in your head, oh, they're kind of they're getting older, not so attracted to them. The more you say that, the more that's marketing and you're going to believe it. And it's going to produce emotions that are equal to the thought. So how do we do that? We <laughs> well, you how have to commit. That? First is the commitment. It's like, are you committed? Really? So if you're a young person to commit to that person when they're 70 now, commit to them when they're 80 now, I'm going to love you. And the next thing, start looking at pictures of an old happy couple. They're not easy to come by, but they do exist. There are videos. If you look up YouTube, there's this old Korean couple. They made a little documentary. Like, do you want to be like that? Or do you want to be like an old guy who's that guy's age? I think they were like a hundred. There's this old Korean couple. They were like a hundred and they're still so cute. They're having a leaf fight. <laughs> they were flirting. Do you want to be like that? Or do you want to be like that old guy who's checking out, you know, a 30 year old girl? It's like start. And so you, you're brainwashing yourself willingly. And then you start figuring out, well, if that's the case, then what do I need to think? What do I need to say to my spouse in order for that to happen? Well, that means you compliment them. You find the good in that person. You find all the things that you are attracted to them and you stick with that. And you always look for new things to be attracted to them. And that's the novelty because you will find instead of finding new types of people to love, you can find new aspects in the same person that you can be attracted to. Yeah. You can look at their ears, look at their hands. There's all sorts of nuance to your spouse that God invested so much time and energy into that person and you didn't even notice, right? I think what's coming up to me for me when you're sharing this is like right now, as we're talking, my wife is seven months pregnant and she's getting to a point where she's changing very rapidly. You know, it's not a slow, slow thing. It's she's very rapidly changing her appearance and her body and her face. Our sex life, you know, is changing rapidly and then she's going to have birth and then to deal with that. So. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is I know that the more people spend on online and indulging and engaging in this standard, and I call it the Instagram standard. And I think the danger of spending time kind of being brainwashed, if you will, by this standard of what is beautiful and what is not beautiful is that it creates a binary of this is attractive and this is not attractive. Like you're saying earlier, what is attractive is young women. What is not attractive is 60, 50. And that's what happens when they've even done studies, right? Remember John Williams talking about this, that if you were to watch a series of videos or even images of women, like a, women on Instagram, and then immediately look at your spouse, you'll see your spouse significantly less attractive after watching. So it's a clear like A to B comparison that if you engage in more of viewing of this standard that is out there, then you will see your own partner significantly less attractive over, especially over a period of time. So that's the first step for me is like, as long as people are engaging in this stuff and indulging in it, 
then it's just going to make the binary stronger of this is beautiful. This is not beautiful. This is attractive. This is, these qualities are attractive. These qualities are not even characteristics, not even just looks like characteristics of people are attractive or hair color or anything like that. And the problem with the binary is that it's not actually how we're designed by God is that we're all on a continuum of how attractive we are uniquely, like infinitely uniquely. And when you can get to that point where you can see every individual on planet earth, infinitely uniquely beautiful in their own right and attractive that's what makes it easy to find someone and easy to keep someone like because i talk with people every day almost every day who are trying to find a partner right and it becomes very clear that there's this binary standard of they're looking for a certain individual that matches their standard of whatever attractive qualities are and as long as you have that standard and it's this binary of this and not how attractive they are uniquely then it makes it infinitely harder to find someone and infinitely harder to keep that relationship long term so i'm saying this because like as long as people have a porn habit or even just engage in a lot of social media and advertisement and this marketing that you're talking about right yeah it's just dangerous because this binary is real and the standard that is out there is really real. So that's what I think. That's a great point. The comparison game is a path to total destruction and annihilation of all things yeah. good. That's the work too, is as things change. And in your case, yes, things are changing quickly. It's we creatures of habits and sometimes we really resist change, but change is inevitable. And when, you, when you're up for the internal stuff and you're willing to adapt to the external stuff, you will always find a way. And I think it's just a different standard that we're not exposed to very much, which is, you know, that things can get better over time. And the more that you anticipate that, the more you start looking for evidence that that's true. So meaning like it is possible to stay in love and become more in love as you get older and that you can be more attracted to somebody even as they age. The more that that's something that you believe, the more that you practice trying to make that happen. But unfortunately, the opposite is typically more accepted, which is couples stop being attracted to each other and they need something outside of their couple to stay mm -hmm. engaged. And it's not a fault of marriage, which is usually what gets the blame. It's a fault of how we approach relationships in a very self-centered and short-sighted way. So we remember why we got into this relationship and the attitude that we need to maintain, which is one where like, am I committed to loving you or not in spite of anything? And am I adaptable? Can I find new things to love about you as we grow and change? Because things will change. Everything changes over time. So that's so much more exciting and adventurous. And that's like the basis of every poem, which is like, I want to love you more every day. I want to find a million ways to love you, right? That's actually yeah. the most practical thing you can do is to be the type of person who looks for new ways to celebrate the person that they're in a relationship with constantly. And you'll generate more love in the relationship. Because if you come up to your spouse and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know this, but I really like this about you. Guess how they feel? They're like, oh my God, they feel like they like you're falling in love with them again and you're creating yeah. love. You're generating it out of nothing just by actively mm -hmm. looking for new ways to love that person. And so that's actually what we signed up for. That's the premise of our faith, but very few people know it. That's actually the like divine principle 101 that very few people practice because their heads are in the clouds. But this is the most practical thing you can do is like in your circumstance, what can you love about your life more and watch how everything else falls in line with that. Right. So the more that you can find gratitude for every little thing in your life, the more that your life just pans out and things get better. My wife has noticed that she's got gray hairs recently. Right. 
she's 32. She's getting these gray hairs and she's like, ah, she gets really stressed about it. And she's always like trying to dye her hair and stuff. And then they come back. Right. And I'm just like, I like it. Like I like her gray hairs. I think it's cool. Honestly, like I think it's attractive to see my wife like maturing and having that like maturity that she has and she's gaining weight. And I think it's awesome. And I, every day I like hold her tummy and say, Hey, like how awesome it is. And like, I genuinely feel that. So Hopefully, like you're saying, my wife is learning to accept her gray hairs and, and feel awesome that I think she is. Yeah. You know, all the stuff that we typically focus on flies out the window the second something real happens in life. Like how many likes you have on social media or whatever, mm. when your wife is about to have a baby, like when she's in labor, that, that stuff doesn't matter. Like a little bit, not even a little bit, like nothing, nothing, nothing. It evaporates. When somebody's sick that you really love, you don't give a crap about what kind of car you drive. We spend all of our time on so much of our time worrying about stuff that produces unnatural emotions because we're in an unnatural state because we're not focusing on what actually matters. And that's like, how much am I loving? How much am I experiencing love for myself, for the people in my life? And when you look for that in your spouse, new ways to love that person, I promise you, you'll find new ways to be attracted to them and your love will be fresh and your love life, your sex will be tremendous because now you're starting to have internal sex. When you're young and energetic, it's really about that young energy. Like we're two young bodies, right? But it's not like I can speak from, I'm 40, so I'm, I'm getting older for sure. But just being with my wife for like the past 10 years, our sexuality is becoming much more based on internal means mm. and it's becoming much more gratifying in a deeper way. And that's what yeah. it's also supposed to be. And that's very congruent with our bodies. And if you are becoming a more internal person as you grow older, that's a person who, who's got more wisdom, your love for people and the sex with your spouse will be far, it will supersede the physical it will go to a new dimension. It will be far greater. And so that's what we hope for you. Otherwise you'll be stuck, you know, just scraping Instagram. You'll never find satisfaction because it's always about the surface level stuff and humans can never find satisfaction in skin level stuff. We always want more. Yep. That's why guys bring the binoculars to the beach. Good God. You know, what's funny is like, He'd stare at her for so long and then every so often he'd look away as though he was actually looking for something else. Anyway. I hope this is helpful, everybody. The main gist is that you don't want to be that dude. You don't want to be bored with what you got and looking for something else because there's no satisfaction in that because you're missing the point. The point is that that's a part of this disposable culture that we were raised in where you just trade in your phone for the newest next one that doesn't work for humans. Maybe material stuff, whatever. This That's not what this podcast is. But in terms of people, it's only that's the recipe for loneliness over the long term. The much better way of looking at things is to find new ways to love what you already got. And you will never be short of the stuff that really matters in life, which is love, connection. And that's what faith is too. God doesn't change. We're not like, okay, today God's name is Jubi Jabba. And you're like, yes, finally Jubi we can Jabba. change God. It's like, yeah. it's always been God. The real thing, love doesn't need to change. It's always great. It's just how we find it changes. But the real eternal stuff is eternal. Anyway, that's it. That's my rant. Thank you, Benji. It was nice talking to you, everybody. Hope you got something out of this and we'll see you next time. All right. Hello everybody, Andrew Love here, and I just wanted to add one more point. High Noon is a nonprofit organization, and we are run by donations. 
And although we've been doing okay, thanks to the massive generosity of our founders, the Wolfenburgers, we want to expand higher, 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 higher. We want to make a global impact. We want to reach every family. We want to change the culture. And for that to happen, we're going to need a lot of volunteers and a lot of staff. That's just the reality. It takes money to travel. It takes money to do a lot of the things we do. And we want to let you be a part of this growth. And so what we've created is a donors club, which is a $10 a month club. And when you join, you get a t-shirt mailed to your door. You can get some exclusive content. And we also have some really good goodies for our tribe of people who are part of the donors club that we're going to talk about in the coming months. So I just wanted to invite you to be one of these people. Everybody can afford $10 a month. It's just a matter of whether it's a priority. So if you feel High Noon has impacted you positively or your family or somebody you know, please consider donating. I don't want you to give any money unless you really, really want to. But if you do want to, I encourage you to really, really donate. So $10 a month is, I don't know, a cat a month. I don't know how to measure it. It's a giant hamburger and french fries a month that you can sacrifice in order to help this world become a more habitable, more enjoyable, more connected, more loving place. So please consider joining our donors club. It's just $10 a month. We look forward to seeing you on the inside of our secret society for donors. Have a good day, everybody.